Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we conclude our series entitled Kedging by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. In this sermon, we will hear that we need to kedge our hearts towards love while learning about the power of the cross. And now, Pastor Johnson. For the last three weeks, counting today, we've been speaking on the word kedging. It's a phrase used in ships. It's used in anchors. If or when a ship is grounded or in turbulent waters, the crew takes another boat with a kedge anchor with them, and they go the direction the ship wants to or needs to go. And when they arrive at the fullest length of the cable, they drop the kedge anchor and then start a winching effort to unground or remove the ship from the turbulence. Jesus was a kedger. He was a kedge anchor as a savior on this earth. He continually tried to get the people in his country to kedge toward hope and to kedge toward love, and today kedge toward faith. He was constantly doing miracles, folks. He really was showing kindnesses and availing himself for people's betterment. Do you believe that? Some of the miracles he performed, even though they were of the fantastic variety, and the Bible, the Bible said if all that was written about him was written, then the books could not contain what he did. Many theologians say that probably in those three and a half years he did between 150 and 175 well-known miracles, public miracles, plus those that he did outside of the public world. People could not accept them as miracles, though, and they tried to talk them away because, see, the Pharisees didn't believe in Christ. They couldn't believe in him, and the Sadducees didn't believe in anything supernatural. So in John 9, when a man, blind man, received his healing, the disciple asked the Lord, said, Who sinned? Here his parents said he was... He was born blind, and Jesus said, neither, but that the glory of God could be revealed. So he spit on the ground, put mud in the man's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he washed at the pool, he came forth seeing. I believe that. Then came the battle. His neighbors were asked, do you know this boy? And they said, well, he looks like the boy that we knew that was blind. <laughs> but it may not be him. It may not. How were you healed, they said. He said, a man called Jesus made clay and told me to go to a pool and wash. Okay, where is this man right now? Well, I don't know where he is. Yeah, that's, that's likely. And since the healing was on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees said, this man is not from God that healed you because he does not keep the Sabbath. And to the blind man, they say, what say you of this man? He said, well, I believe he's a prophet. And the Jews flat out didn't believe it. So they called his parents. His parents were very, very brave. They were extremely brave and very faithful to the cause of Christ. They said, we don't know. We don't know what happened. We just don't know. He's of age, ask him. I believe if I had a son that was blind and born blind and came back and say, Mama, I see you. I believe I'd get out and say, my boy's been healed. But Jesus was racked with unbelief from those people, even though he had done this great thing. But here's what, here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to tell you. The, the, the man that was healed said, I, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is, but I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. 
But people have a way of talking folks out of their miracle. I've seen people receive miracles here in this house. And before they get out the door sometime or before they get home, someone has rationalized them right out of their miracle. You know what I'm talking about. That was just a goosebump. That really wasn't a miracle. Listen to this pastor. You're not going to talk me out of mine. When God does something for me, I'm going to claim it. Anybody in this house want to claim something from God? I'm going to claim it. John chapter 5 shows us someone who sits for 38 years and never sees his miracle. He saw it for others but not for himself. And so Jesus arrives on the scene at the pool of Bethesda one day and he faces a man who feels unloved. He goes from unbelief to someone that feels unloved and nobody cares about. He asked him one question, do you want to be whole, sir? Do you want to be whole? And the man shared excuses why he didn't get in the pool for 38 years. He said the angel comes and troubles the water and then the first one in the pool gets healing, but nobody's here to ever throw me in the pool. And Jesus, in essence, said, I don't want to hear excuses. I just want to know, do you want to be healed? He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And when he took up his bed and walk, somebody, somebody asked him about it and you can read about it. What Jesus was saying said, let's do this. Everybody counts. Even a 38-year-old situation counts. Then in John 6, after Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, he started teaching them on the hillside out in the middle of the desert. And they all left with food on the ground, with 12 baskets full, waiting for somebody to pick them up. They left him. And everybody left of the 5,000 plus women and children except 12 disciples. And Jesus faced a spirit of unappreciation. Seemed like every time he did something, it was talked against. It was a fact that, you know, I don't have anybody. After he did it, people didn't appreciate him. They left him where he couldn't even talk to them about the kingdom of Christ. So Jesus said one day, I'm, I'm going to go over the border here. I'm going to another place. I'm going to go over to Tyre and Sidon. Somehow he needed to find someone who was wanting and waiting for a miracle there. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 7, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Here's the reason why. There are some people that do not take the Lord for granted. There are some folks that have a need that only he can fulfill. Somebody needing help is going to find him. You understand that? Somebody wanting a miracle is going to find him. And if it doesn't happen here, it's going to happen somewhere because God is going to go where there's a hungry heart. Do you believe that? And as I'm talking to families today, God's going to go to a family that says, Lord, this is your house. Come on in this house. We want you here. I tell married, married couples all the time that a threefold cord is not easily broken. One cord is the husband. One cord is the wife. But that middle cord is the unseen guest of Almighty God. You hear me, if you want your marriage to stay together, if you want your family to stay together, you better have an unseen guest in that house called Almighty God in your life because he is the one that keeps peace and tranquility in your home. The Bible said for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek and she was a Gentile. All he had been ministering to was his people, the Jewish people. She was a Seraphonician by birth and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The Bible said the disciples had said, Lord, send her away. And she answered and said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Somebody's going to want a miracle. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon is gone out of your daughter. What he said in the King James is, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. 
Amen. And when she had gone and come to her house, she found the demon gone out in her daughter lying in the bed. Aren't you happy that Jesus Christ not only can open blind eyes, not only can feed 5,000 men plus women and children, not only can touch a 38-year-old problem, aren't you glad to know that whatever power is in this earth, whatever spirit's in this earth, there is one that has conquering power over any power that's in this earth. You hear me, mom and dad. Oh, you, oh, I'm preaching right You listen to me right now. You listen to me right now. Hell cannot destroy your home if you don't want hell to destroy your home. You need to cry out to the Lord and say, this is your house, God. This doesn't belong to the enemy. It belongs to you. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. Let me change. Let me change tracks just a little bit here now. An old man was trying. Many of you have heard this, and I'm just going to tell it because there's four or five that hadn't. He was trying to lead a contrary donkey down the road. And a passerby stopped and commented on the way the donkey was behaving. I can make him do anything, the man on the donkey said. I want to, just a kind word. All I got to do is say a kind word to him. And the other man said, doesn't look like that to me. He said, sure I can. So the owner gets off the donkey, picks up a two before and hits him right over the head with it, the donkey. And he explained to the onlooker, onlooker I simply have to get his attention first. Then he'll listen. So what was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to get Israel's attention. He was trying to tell them, my kingdom is not of this world. I am not here to lead you into battle against the Romans. I am here to bring heaven to this earth so that this earth, when it doesn't feel appealing any longer, you can look up and know there's another kingdom working in your life. That's what I'm here for. Amen. In fact, in fact, he was teaching in a house one time in Capernaum. And there was such a crowd that a man who was a paraplegic needed help, needed a healing. Four men brought him and they climbed up on the roof of that house and they tore the roof off that house and let him down in that house and put him right at Jesus' feet. And Jesus looked at that man who was sick with paraplegicism, whatever. And he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And there was murmurs in that house that said, he cannot forgive sins. He has put himself in the mind of God. He, he's forgiven sins. And the Bible said because of their unbelief, he said, son, I say unto thee, arise. Here's what he wanted them to know. He wanted them to know that the miracles I'm doing was trying to cage you toward faith of who I am, that I can't only perform miracles in your life. I can save you. I can redeem you. I can cause you to be a brand new born again believer. Now, now, Lord Ogilvy tells of a father who knelt down to tuck his little boy into bed one night. It was time for prayers and hugs and the little boy began his childhood prayer which he'd repeated many times. Now I lay me down to sleep. Anybody ever said this? I pray the Lord my soul to keep and if I should die before I wake up, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's the only one I do till I was 17. I'm teasing. I had a mother and daddy that prayed so long I'd go to sleep sometime at the couch. We prayed at our house. We didn't watch Ozzy and Harriet. We prayed at our house. 
But that night, the little boy messed up. And he, he, he produced one of the greatest words of wisdom ever. He said, he prayed, if I should wake before I die. And he said, oh, daddy, I'm so sorry I messed up. And the daddy said, no, you didn't mess up, son. That's the first time that that prayer has been properly prayed. My deepest longing for you is that you wake up to what God has for you before you die. That's my prayer for you. So let's talk a few minutes about waking up before we die. Before some of us are asleep at the most critical time of our lives. Parents, can I talk to you just a minute? I'm going to dedicate your kids in a moment. Can I talk to you? It's not time to be asleep right now. It's not time to be dozing in your house. If God's given you the gift of life in your house, you need to open your eyes real wide and understand that there is a spirit of this world that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not spirit of Christ. And it wants to take your kids down a primrose path. But I promise you, Jesus Christ showed us power over the enemy. And I preached about it just a little while ago. And I want to tell you, there is power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got to wake up to that power. There are people that have come to me and say, Pastor, pray for our home. I feel unclean attitudes. I feel unclean spirits. What you need to do is take dominion over your own home. Because God has given you authority. Dad, he's given you authority. Mother, he's given you praying power over your house. And you can claim the blood of Jesus over your house. Because God wants your children to raise up and call you blessed and be the right kind of kid. He wants your kids to raise up and call him Lord. Amen? That's what Jesus Christ wants in your life. You don't need to lose your kids now. You need to hold on to the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ and claim your family for the Lord. I didn't mean to get that excited, but I feel this in my spirit today. We're not just coming down here to dedicate and talk about and pray over kids. We're coming to tell the Lord that they are his. And we just have them on loan to us. So there's a word that I want to introduce to you here today. Psychologist and physiologist call the phenomenon habituation. Can you say it with me? Habituation. It's a word that I just kind of uncovered. It's a good word to add to our vocabulary. Habituation. Scientists have measured the effects of habituation in the laboratory. They did some experiments, like, for example, if you repeat a sharp sound every five seconds, boom, boom, boom. The measure, then measure its effect on your consciousness. The first sound will cause a sharp drop in skin resistance. The second sound will cause a smaller drop in your resistance. The third still less as the response of skin becomes habituated. That's that word. In familiar terms, we would say we have grown accustomed to the noise. We're used to it. It's called habituated. Another experiment. When we see the, an unfamiliar image, at first our eyes tend to move in a new pattern around it, but as we view it repeatedly, we tend to look in a fixed way at the same portions of it and ignore the rest because there's another way to look at that image instead of the way you might have locked in the first time. It's called habituation. An interesting example of habituation is what the Stanford University researchers call the Bowery L effect, E-L. 
A noisy elevated train used to run along 3rd Avenue in New York City. After it was torn down, many people in that neighborhood began to call the police late in the night to report something strange occurring. Unusual noises, suspected thieves or burglars. And the police determined that these calls took place at about the time the former late night train would have passed those people's houses. And what they were hearing was the absence of a familiar noise of the train. They had grown habituated to this particular noise and now they would have to become habituated to its absence. So I've got the definition, habituation means growing so accustomed to something that we no longer even realize that it is there. Can I tell you something? Hell wants to wear out the saints of God. He wants to erode your faith. It's not attack, attack, attack. That's not how he does it. He wants to erode your faith. He wants you to make you believe that, you know, this prayer didn't get answered or that little prayer or that little thought process didn't get answered and all of a sudden you start having doubts and you get habituated in the doubt life instead of the faith life. But today I am throwing the kedge anchor as far as I can into the ocean of godliness and I'm trying to kedge you back to faith here today. I'm not a faith healer, but I really am a faith healer. I don't lay hands on people and say I'm a faith healer. I don't call myself that. But I'm preaching to heal some faith in this house today. I believe God Almighty wants your faith to be healed today. I believe he wants you to have a healing in your faith today because I don't care how bad it gets out there. There's a God on the inside. You know, you, you, you gotta understand this. I'd rather be in the, in the ark with the stink than outside the ark in the storm. And I don't care how bad church is or how bad I preach or how bad the choir sings or how bad it doesn't get good on Sunday morning. We try to have good church. I'm telling you, there is safety in the house of God. There's faith in the house of God. There's predestination in the house of God. There's glory in the house of God. Some of you need to get a hold of this and say, I'm tired of hearing the sound of the world. I want to hear the sound of the joy of heaven in my soul. The great Albert Schweitzer once said, it's not so much that a man dies while he lives, but what dies in him as he lives. Wow. People who have lost the vitality of life describe life as the following a joke, which isn't funny. A jail sentence, which we get from the crime of being born, or a disease for which the only cure is death. Or as one man said, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Or perhaps echo the words of multimillionaire Ted Turner when he used to talk against religion. He said, life is a B-grade movie. You don't want to leave in the middle of it, but you don't want to see it ever again. I want this church. I want the families that are raising the children that we're going to dedicate in a moment. I want this church to have life in it. Everybody say there were two trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord said, the only thing I don't want you to do is eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But you can eat of that tree of life all you want to. Here's what I want to tell you, folks. Here's what I want to tell you. I think sometimes we get difficult and, and tired of eating of the tree of life. And we want to nibble on the knowledge of good and evil. And before you know it, things start coming into our world. And we say, God, I, I, I don't know how to get away from this. i tell you how. Turn away from that and get back to the tree of life. Turn away from that and get back to the tree of life. There are churches in America, and I believe this church is one of them, that believes that life should be possessed in all of us. Amen? Yeah. Come on, let's talk about life. Do you really want to live? Do you really want to be alive in this hour? 
Do you want to not be asleep in this hour? Do you want to be wide awake in this hour? Come on, let's understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's understand that all praise and glory goes to him. Let's understand that he is the Alpha and the Omega of our life. Let's understand there's nobody like him ever. He's awesome. He's awesome. So, so I preach today. I conclude today with this little thought. Jesus sets up the Israelites, the Jewish people, for a miracle that nobody can talk somebody out of, that the Pharisees can't look at him and say, you, you, you messed that one up too, the man really wasn't dead. The Sadducees can't say he really didn't resurrect. People can't come and ask questions and start filling the mind and the heart of someone with, with unbelief or unloved or unappreciated. And so it's in John 11. You know where I'm going. Jesus performed a lot of miracles, but this was the miracle. No, his resurrection was the one we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks. But this was the miracle for you and I. Because it let us know that Jesus Christ can do things that are unbelievable. Just speak in the word. John 11, Jesus' friend is sick. His name is Lazarus. He lived in Bethany. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were friends of Jesus. And Mary had anointed his feet and Martha had waited on him and served him wonderful meals. And the sisters sent word to Jesus, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard this and he replied, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So you know what he did? He tarried two more days. Then he said, let's go to Judea again. But the disciples said, Lord, we don't need to go there. They're looking for you to kill you. This was getting close to Calvary season. This was getting close to the time that he was going to die for us. But our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. He said, the disciple says, Lord, if he sleeps, he does well. And then Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. He said, Lazarus is dead and I'm happy. Have you ever thought the Lord would speak in terms like that over your dead body? Lazarus is dead and I'm happy that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus said, I'm glad because Lazarus is dead. Here's the reason. Jesus' miracles up to this point had taken people to all kinds of places of mysticism and disillusionment and even doubt and disbelief and fear, even though some had faith, hope, and courage. But Jesus was about to take the nation to a place where there could be no talking the miracle away. No Sadducee could negate it. No Pharisee could speak against what he was about to do. He was going to take these people to a place they had never witnessed before, to a dimension of faith. He was kedging toward faith Israel had never achieved because this man was dead. Everybody say he was dead. And he wasn't dead just three days. See, after three days, the Jews believed corruption set in. And they also believed the soul left after the third day. That's why it was important for Jesus to rise on the third day. Because the soul would have been gone. The Jews believed this. And the Jews believed that if corruption had set in, then there was, because they didn't embalm people, that there was a chance that he'd probably never come out. But here's what I want to preach to you. 
Jesus had healed two deaths already. You ready? He healed Jairus' daughter. He healed Jairus' daughter. Read it in the Bible. But when he got to their house, she was still warm. She had just died. He sent the mourners out and said, Tobiah, I say unto thee, arise. And she got up. Then he was on his way to a, down the road one day and he saw a funeral procession going to a graveyard and it was the widow's son of Nain. And he stopped that funeral procession. Oh, I feel the Lord here right now. And he said, son, I say unto thee, get up. And a boy that was going to be buried in a little while rose up and began to speak. So he had healed somebody, raised somebody that had just died, raised somebody on the way to the cemetery, but he had never raised anybody that had been dead four days and was in a grave and the stone was sealed and everybody was saying, it's over. Listen to me, it ain't over till God says it's over. Oh, I want to preach right now just a little bit. Can I say something? Some of you have teenage kids. Some of you have adult kids. Some of you have family members that are outside the ark of safety. I'm here to tell you, it ain't over till God says it's over. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I need a healing in my body and I hadn't been healed in a long time. You hear me? It ain't over till God says it's over. Somebody said, Pastor, I've got a dysfunctional home. Everything's going upside down in my house. You listen to me. It ain't over till God says it's over. You believe that God can raise the dead. Oh, hallelujah. So he gets there. He gets to that tomb and everybody say Lazarus is dead. The grave was sealed. Four days had passed. Corruption had set in. He was stinking. Stone was in the way. But the Lord does four little steps, four little easy steps. It don't take him hard steps. It's not hard steps for him. First of all, he weeps. I want you to know, whatever situation you're in in your family, the Lord sees it and he's crying for you right now. He wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35, we love it. I got to quit in about two minutes and I don't want to. But then he requests, he said, take the stone away. In other words, get every impediment out of your life that would stop me from getting you to where I am. Don't let any impediment, don't let a stone get in the way. Don't let a rock get in the way because I'm fixing to call your name. And then he commands, Lazarus, come forth. Whew. Somebody said if he hadn't called his name, everything in the graveyard would have come up. I love it. God. I imagine there's some guys down there said, did he say Larry? <laughs> he say Laura? Boy, they wanted to come up. But he said Lazarus. And then the fourth thing he did, he, he demanded, he said, take the grave clothes off of him. Jesus raised Lazarus. He got him up. He brought him back to life. You listen to him. It's a very simple message. It was the greatest miracle he ever performed for a man. The greatest. Because he showed us before he came up. You see, we're just normal people. We're not virgin born. We, have no, we, have, we, we can't say we have no sin in us. Jesus Christ was virgin born and he had no sin. And it, it was all right for him to get up, but for one of us to get up? Really? For one of us to get up? Yeah, you're going to get up. 
you're going to get up. Because I'm going to show you that before I get through with you, I'm going to have you caged and winched all the way back to where you're supposed to be in life. Many people lose hold and start this habituation process of saying, you know, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be this way in our home. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. You can have life in your home. You can have joy in your home. You can have peace in your home. You can use that cutting board for the right thing and that rolling pin for the right thing to roll out biscuits instead of throwing it at somebody. You parents that are going to dedicate your kids today, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I know just about every one of you. And before this day's over, I'm going to know all of you. But what a joy it is to bring your kids to the Lord today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? So I want you to go home today and read the 11th chapter of John and just say, this is the miracle for me. He raised a dead man up. And in this society, in this generation of Generation X, Generation Y, whatever we are right now, don't know who we are, don't know where we're going, there is a God that has thrown an anchor way out there and said, I'm going to bring you back to faith. He said, Pete, listen, I prayed for you. Not that you won't make mistakes, not that you won't have a temper tantrum every now and then, but I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. We can't let our faith fail in this hour because he's done so much for us. Can you clap your hands and rejoice for that? And that concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.